Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. Uh, once you find John chapter 11, would you stand with me as we read this verse together? John chapter 11, and these fir- a few verses this morning as we read this morning. If you would, notice with me in John chapter 11, we obviously have the story of Lazarus. And we're going to read, uh, kind of go through the, the, this whole John chapter 11 this morning, but I really want to focus on a few verses there at the end of the chapter. If you would, notice with me in verse number 38. The Bible says this, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto her, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, said, not, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with graves clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which which Jesus did believed on him. Would you join me as we open in prayer? Father, we are so thankful for this opportunity to come and worship. And Lord, just like that last song we sang, many of us come broken to be mended. Many of us come empty to be filled. Many of us are desperate for you, Lord. And But this morning, God, as the majority of those who have attended this morning know you as their Lord and Savior, Help us to realize that we have a story worth telling. God, I pray that over the next few minutes as we examine this story, that you'll just go before us, that you'll just allow our hearts to be used by you. And as we are confronted with truth, that we'll make a decision to follow that and follow you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You could be seated this morning. Growing up, we lived in uh, Anderson, South Carolina, and uh, many times uh, throughout the year, we would take an eight to ten hour drive north and go up to West Virginia. That's where my dad was from, where my Mimi and my papa lived. And while we were there in West Virginia, they, they had an awesome farm. And uh, they used to have a farm, but when I went, they just had a lot of land and a lot of exploring. A lot of, we were able to do a lot of bonfires, and we were able to have a lot of fun in West Virginia. And uh, but I'll never forget, uh, we have, I think there's around 10 cousins of us. 
every night as we would go to bed, we'd go get our showers, and uh, we'd have to go downstairs because the shower was downstairs in the basement. And I remember it so vividly, that, that musky smell when you're going down there. And, and uh, it was such a, a great environment. It was so much fun. And every night as we'd go to bed, we'd get our showers, and we'd go up to one of the upstairs bedrooms, and all 10 of us grandkids would get on a bed. And Papa, my dad's dad, would sit there, and he would tell us a story. And my papa was the greatest storyteller you ever could have been. And he would, we would sit there, and all ten of us, he would have us mesmerized by the, the, fan, the fantasies that he had in his mind and how he would just tell that to us. And we would sit there, and we were just in awe of what he was saying. We were captivated by his attention. And this morning, as I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but think of my papa and how great of a storyteller he was. And as I read this, story, this passage here in John chapter 11, it really made me think that every one of us have a story to tell with our life. Every one of us have, we are telling a story with our life. And the question that we need to ask this morning is, what story is your life telling? What story is your life telling? And this morning, we're going to use the story of Lazarus to look at five chapters of Lazarus's life. And if you would, notice with me there in your notes, first of all, this, this morning, number one, there was the serious condition. The serious condition. A little backstory as we get into this passage, we see that Jesus was ministering like he was doing during those three and a half years of the last end of his life. And Jesus was ministering in a city called Bethabara. And this was about 20 miles away from the city of Bethany. And in Bethany, that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that's where they lived and that's where their house was. And really, throughout the scriptures, we see many times uh, uh, Jesus would stop at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. And he would dine with them and he would commune with them. And, and many times that Jesus would go through, uh, through the city of Bethany to commune with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. But here we see that Jesus is about 20 miles south in the city of Bethabara and ministering uh, to the people there. But we see in John chapter, or John chapter 11, verse number 1, that, that people, a messenger came to him and said that someone had, was sick, near to the point of death. And I see that this is a serious condition for two reasons. First of all, this is a serious condition from the Bible, from what the Bible says, because first of all, there was the loss of life, the loss of life. And here Jesus, at verse 38, we see that Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. Jesus, or someone had died, so Jesus was called upon, and, and ultimately he found himself in going to the grave. As Jesus was ministering in this nearby city of Bethabara, this messenger arrives and shares some sad news. In verse number one, we see that Lazarus was sick. However, it's interesting, as the messenger approaches Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. He says, he whom thou lovest is sick. This, there must have been a true friendship between Jesus and Lazarus for this to be the way that Lazarus was referenced by the messenger. And, and we see as Jesus receives this news, we don't see that Jesus changes his itinerary and, and goes right away to Bethany. In fact, we see that in, in the verse number 6 of this chapter that Jesus decides to reside two additional days in Bethabara. Eventually, as we read the story, Jesus makes his way to Bethany. And sure enough, by this time, Lazarus had died. 
In fact, the Bible says that Lazarus had been dead for four days. So this suggests that Lazarus died on the very day that Jesus received the news that Lazarus was sick. As Jesus is making his way from Bethabara into Bethany, as he crests the hill going into the city, he is greeted by Martha. Oh, Martha. And then eventually he's met by Mary. And then Jesus clearly sees the, the emotional toll that is on them that's taking place. And, and so he asks Jesus, or he asks Mary, where have you laid him? Where is, where is Lazarus? Where is he? You, you said he died, but where have you laid him? And as Jesus is told to follow to the tomb, he sees every, everyone around him is crying. Martha, Mary, the Jews that were around him, the crowd, they, they, were, they were very somber. They were crying. And ultimately, we see in verse number 35 of this chapter that Jesus himself weeps. And as I was thinking about this story, isn't it comforting that our high priest understands the feelings that we go through? And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And in this moment, Mary and Martha, they needed the touch of Jesus. And they didn't go anywhere else. They went to Jesus and they petitioned Jesus to, to help them. And, and this was a serious condition because Lazarus had died. The one whom Jesus had loved. But this was not just a serious condition due to the loss of life. This was a serious condition, secondly, due to the loss of faith. The loss of faith. Many times when we hear about this story of Lazarus, we, we hear about Lazarus dying and Jesus coming and raising Lazarus from the dead. And, and that's where the story kind of leaves off, that, that Jesus rose somewhere from the dead. But this morning, I really want to focus here on the loss of faith. As we look at this story, notice the responses of Martha, Mary, and the Jews that were with them. First of all, Martha. We just said that as Jesus was, was cresting the hills, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou would have been here, my brother had not died. But I know now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Martha was so glad that Jesus was there. Finally, the one who could do something about this predicament is finally here. And so she says, you can do something. And it appears that she believes that Jesus could still heal Lazarus, even though he had already died. But notice with me in verse number 39. The Bible says, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Somewhere between the entrance of the city when Jesus was cresting to the entrance of the tomb, Martha had lost faith. From the moment that Jesus came into Bethany, she said, I am so glad that you're here. If, it, if you would like this and God's going to give it to you, then I believe that anything is possible. But now she's at the tomb and she says, Jesus, there's no hope. He stinketh. He's been dead for four days. Martha had lost faith that Jesus could heal. Martha was not the only one who lost faith. Though Mary, we see that when Mary first comes and sees Jesus in verse 37, it says, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, 
my brother had not died. It was almost as if Mary forgot that Jesus' presence is not what heals. She equated Jesus being there with the healing that he could provide. But she knew that just several, several days or several months earlier in John chapter 4, that with the words of Jesus' mouth, Jesus was able to heal the nobleman's son from a distance away. But yet here she forgot that and she didn't have the faith that she once had. The Jews that were present also lost faith in Jesus. And in verse number 37, and some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? The Jews that were present understood the power that Jesus possessed, but they questioned his ability in this instance. They too had lost their faith. And furthermore, as these specters were observing Jesus, and they, they see that Jesus finally weeps. Could you just imagine, perhaps the spectators saw Jesus' tears, and in their minds they said, see, my, their lack of faith was affirmed. See, they thought, Jesus is weeping because he is unable to do anything. That they are tears of deep regret, they might, they might have thought. In other words, nobody present really expected a miracle. Nobody present really expected a miracle. In the serious condition that existed at Lazarus' tomb is still present in this room today. I'm not talking about the loss of life, although that is real. I'm specifically talking about the loss of faith. In this room, there is someone who used to pray for a lost loved one. But somewhere over the last several months or so, over the last several years, you've stopped praying. There's someone in this room who used to share the gospel with those around them, but, but nothing happened, and so you lost faith, and so you no longer are doing that. There is someone in this room who used to serve their spouse and their family without wanting anything in return, but, but nothing is happening, so you've lost faith. And I say this lovingly, and I say this rebukingly, but in this room collectively, we as a church have lost faith. We say that we have the desire to see our community saved. And last week, we petitioned our church to sign up, and we have a plethora of events, and 25% of our church signs up. That means 75% of our church doesn't care, or that's what appears to show. I believe that we think that God can do something, but here's the thing, we don't believe that God will. We, we say amen when pastor says, I would love to have this auditorium full and the overflows. And we say, amen, pastor, that's a great vision. And we believe that God can do that, but I don't think that we believe that God will do that. You see, we as a church, we have lost faith. We believe that God can, but do we believe that he will? You see, here at the tomb of Lazarus, they believed and they knew that God could do something. That's why they said it. God, or Jesus, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you were here, you are, you are the stopgap. Nothing would have happened. They believed that he could do it, but they neglected to believe that God would do it. I don't know what situation you're facing today, but if you're praying for a miracle, don't stop. If you're praying for the salvation of someone in your family, don't stop. If you're praying for something that only God can do, do not stop. Because in God's timing, he will bring it to fruition. Remember the messenger, they ran to Jesus and they said, Jesus, there is someone whom you love who is sick. And Jesus says, okay, okay. In fact, let me just stay in Bethabara for two more days. 
And the, just picture the, the messengers thinking, no, Jesus, you don't understand. He, he's sick and almost to the point of death. You, you need to come right now. And Jesus is just like, okay. And here's what I love. God's delays are not God's denials. Jesus is sitting there and saying, okay. But he, here's what he, this was Jesus' goal. That the Father would be glorified. It wasn't that Lazarus would raise from the dead. In fact, Jesus needed Lazarus to die in order for him to go there for the crowd to gather and him perform a miracle. Why? So that they might believe. Here's what I know this morning is that in your life right now, as you're looking in your life and you say, Jesus is just not doing what I thought he would or, or whatever's going on. And here's what I could say this. God's delays are not God's denials. And Jesus works everything, not for our good, but for his good. And if there's something in your life right now where you have lost faith, please, I'm begging you, collectively, we need to, we need to ask God to give us more faith. You see, this was a serious condition because there was a loss of life and a loss of faith. But notice with me, though, that this serious condition was followed by Jesus. Uh, number two, the, the simple command. The simple command. Here in John chapter 11, I love that Jesus comes to the tomb and, and he's crying and he's weeping. And Jesus was brought to the tomb and the Bible says he was really overcome with emotion. Verse number 38 says, Jesus therefore groaning in himself. And he says that he, the Bible says he groaned in himself and this was an inward mourning of what he was feeling. Now, we don't know what Jesus was feeling, but we know that his emotions led him to the point of tears. Many people believe that Jesus was, was crying because Lazarus had died. Some people believe that Jesus was crying because they, he saw the lack of faith. Some people believe that Jesus was crying because he knew that maybe Lazarus was in heaven or in paradise, and he had to bring him back from that to this earth. And while we don't know why Jesus was crying, we do know that he was led to the point of tears. So Jesus is brought to the tomb where Lazarus was laid, and he knew what was going to happen. And the crowd was looking at Jesus and expecting him to do something great. Finally, Jesus was at the tomb. What's going to happen? Jesus, with all the power and authority that is possessed by God, because he is God, said five words, take ye away the stone. Now, we have the knowledge of what happened next. But in that moment, they had no idea what was going to happen. So they brought Jesus and they ushered him to the tomb. And they said, Jesus, the only way that Lazarus is going to come out of this is if you do something. And so they say, Lord, we're praying about it. We're asking you to do something about it. So here's the problem. And they said this. Okay, Jesus, do something about it. And what does Jesus do? He says, take you away the stone. Now, what was about to happen? What do we know was about to happen? Lazarus was going to raise from the dead. But guess what? They had no idea there. And in that moment, Jesus simply just gives a simple command. They were simply, they were simply given a command by Jesus. And here's what I know, is that ordinary acts of obedience pave the way for extraordinary acts of God. Ordinary acts of obedience pave the way for extra, extraordinary acts of God. Here in this story, let's just say perhaps Martha says, that's a big stone, Jesus. I can't do it. And maybe she says, I just, I'm not going to do it. What if they're, now we are, we are in speculation mode here. This is not what the Bible says. Okay? But what if 
She just, just doesn't disobey. And she just says, I, Jesus, I'm praying about it, but I'm not going to do something about it. And we just say, we just sit here and we just, we're, we keep praying. We're keeping asking Jesus in. And here Jesus is saying, this is what to do. This is what you want to do. This is what I want you to do. And she just says, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to ask you to do it. But the moment that Jesus asked her to do something, she obeyed in the, or, the ordinary acts of obedience paved the way for extraordinary acts of God. And really, if we look all throughout Jesus' ministry, that's the very thing that he did. If we look at Matthew chapter 5, uh, 14, verses 13 through 21, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus tells the disciples to, to go and find food. And they're like, okay, do we send them away? What do we do? And, and there's this little fisher boy saying, you can use this. If you want to use this, here, here's a simple act of obedience. And what do we know follows, what do we know that followed that? Feeding of the 5,000. And, and God blessed that. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 4 through 11, the, the disciples were fishing all night. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, all I'm asking you to do, take your nets and put them on the other side. Jesus, we've been doing this all night. Do you not think we've done that? He says, trust me. And so they put him on the other side, and what do we know that happens? It, it almost sinks the boats. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, the Bible talks about if we just give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, it's, it's so much, it, it can do so much more for what the gospel is. And it, all Jesus asks us to do, the only thing he asks us to do in Matthew chapter 20 is to share the gospel. Go out into the world, preach, teach, and share the gospel. The simple act of obedience can pave the way to extraordinary acts of God. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a preacher from yesteryear, and he, he shared the story in one of his messages, and he said a young, uh, there was a young son of a missionary couple in Zaire, and he was playing in the yard, and he was just having a good time, and suddenly the voice of the boy's father rang out from the porch, Philip, obey me instantly, drop to your stomach. Immediately, the youngster did as his father commanded. He dropped to his stomach. And now the, the father said, now crawl toward me as fast as you can. So the boy starts crawling as fast as he can. And finally, the, the dad says, stand up and run to me as fast as you can. Philip responded unquestioningly and ran to his father's arms. And as the young boy got to the porch, he, looked, he turned around and he looked back at the tree by which he was playing. And he saw a large, deadly snake hanging from one of the branches. At the first command of his father, Philip could have hesitated and asked, Why do you want me to do that? Or he could have casually replied, Yeah, I'll be there in a minute. But his instant obedience without questioning saved his life. You see, true faith always leads to obedience in our actions. True faith always leads to obedience in our actions. And here's what I'm afraid of this morning. And again, I say this lovingly, but I'm afraid that many of us, we have lost faith. That's why when we are called upon to act, we say this, someone else will do it. I'm not going to rearrange my schedule. I've got things I've got to do. And, and, I, and you know, go show the gospel. Yeah, let's do that. But someone else can do that. And I say this lovingly, but, but I, I say this honestly. The loss of faith leads to a loss of actions. And here what we see is, is that, that, G, that Martha was asked to move the stone and she was given a simple command. But notice, because Martha did or was asked by Jesus for a simple command, number three this morning, she gave the sincere excuse. She gave the sincere excuse. Notice with me there at the end of verse number 39. Jesus says, take away the stone. Then Martha, 
The sister of him that was dead saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. We see Jesus gave Martha a simple command, yet Martha came back with a sincere excuse. I, I think she was being honest. I think she was being sincere. And I'm not sure if Martha forgot who Jesus was, but she thought he must have forgotten something pretty important. It was almost as if she said, um, um, Jesus, can, can I have a moment with you really quick? And they went over here to the side and she says, um, I know you know everything, but I think you forgot this thing. Let me just remind you that she's been dead, or he's been dead for four days. Lazarus is already dead, and in fact, he has already begun the, the decomposing process, and he stinks, Jesus. It's over, Jesus. He's dead. That's how I read this. Now, was Martha wrong? No. She gave a sincere excuse. She said, Jesus, this is factually what is happening. But what I love about this, and Martha, and again, she was, well, she was just reminding Jesus about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, rabbis and priests could not touch the dead. And there were clear teachings from the Old Testament, uh, like Leviticus 21.1, that, that says that if someone who died, or that someone who died should not be touched once they begin their decomposition, and because this would defile the person who touched the dead. Martha was simply reminding Jesus that it was over, that if he touched the dead, that he would be corrupted. Yet here we see that Jesus was willing to interact with the dead, decomposing, filthy, stinky, and defiling body. He was willing to get, quote-unquote, dirty to pull them out of where they were at. And I love this because he, he goes in there, and, and Martha's just simply giving him an honest and sincere excuse. Recently, there was a young licensed pilot who was flying for one of the first times with his instruments, and it was a very cloudy day. He was not super experienced in instrument landings, and when the control tower, tower was bringing him in, he began to get a little bit panicky. The clouds were hindering his view, and the clouds were causing the bounce to, to bounce around, and he was nervous, and his nervousness was going through the radios to the air traffic controller. As he was coming in, the, he heard a stern voice come over the radio from the air traffic controller. You just obey the instructions, and we will take care of the obstructions. And when I think about this, sometimes Jesus asks us to do something, and we have a sincere excuse. We have a sincere reason not to go and do that thing. We, 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 can, we can have a justification for why we're not doing it. But sometimes... We need to understand that Jesus doesn't operate within our understanding. He operates within his, within his dominion. And just like us, that's why over the last couple of years, we, we began um, doing, uh, at Halloween, we're doing the trunk or treat. And when we announced it, many people were like, we're associating with Halloween and the devil. But here's what I'll say. You know what? The people who are worshiping the devil, who's going to tell them that what they're doing is wrong? If we as a church are like, oh, we can't go over here, and oh, we can't go down to 4th Avenue because they're doing this thing, and we can't go over here, and, and we just isolate ourselves, guess what? The lost world around us is going to be lost, and go to a place called hell. And, I'm, and listen, church, I'm so passionate this morning, because Martha and Mary and, La and the, the Jews, that's me. 
That's you. Our faith, we believe that God can save our city, but we don't believe that God will. That's why our actions are not on the 4th Avenue Street Fair. That's why we're not doing these things. And and church, I'm just encouraging us this morning, please, 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 let's set aside our excuses and jump in the game. Get in the game and let's see how God can do a miraculous work in and through us. Because once Martha gave the sincere excuse, Jesus reminded her, in verse number 41, Jesus, or in verse number 40, Jesus saith unto Martha, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Have you ever thought if you're living your life without seeing the glory of God? We come to church on Sundays, we worship, we sing, we, we do all those things, and Sunday after Sunday could come. Sunday after Sunday could come. But would we miss if God's glory was not here? You see, God's glory is made evident in God's miracles. And we need to be praying for miracles. We need to be praying that God would work in a miraculous way. And here we see in verse number 40 through 44, that's exactly what Jesus did. Number four this morning, we see the special miracle. The special miracle. Obviously, we know this story. And, and Jesus doesn't just go to the grave to see that there's a dead decomposing body just to turn around and walk away. That's not what he does is all. He goes there because he wants to see a miracle. The stone was removed, and here Jesus stood at the entrance. All eyes were on Jesus. What was he going to do? Well, we know exactly what he did, because the Bible tells us he looked up to heaven, and he thanked God for the power and the oneness that he possessed with God. He thanked God for the opportunity to use this miracle to point the crowd back to God the Father. And after this prayer, he said three words, Lazarus, come forth. I love the way the old Puritan writer said, if Jesus had not named Lazarus when he shouted, he would have emptied the whole cemetery. Because Jesus has the power to do the things that we think are impossible. And that's exactly what we see here. With the power of his words, Jesus called Lazarus to come forth. And sure enough, Lazarus came to the edge of that tomb, bound by the grave clothes that defined him. And I love this story because this is an incredible picture of salvation. Lazarus was dead in the graveyard, bound by grave clothes and in bondage behind the stone. Sinners are spiritually dead in the graveyard of sin, bound by grave clothes of sin and in bondage to their life of sin. But yet with the power of Jesus's words, he can free the prisoner. He can change the destiny. He can remove the shackles of the bondage of sin. And yet with the power of Jesus' words, the sinner can be given spiritual life, removed from the graveyard of sin, stripped of their grave clothes of sin, and given victory from their life of sin. Yet all of this happened because Martha was obedient in removing the stone. Jesus' power was on display because of the obedience of his followers. And lastly this morning, and I'll hasten Number five, we see that this led to the significant outcome. The significant outcome. I love this. The Jews that were with them, and they began questioning, the one that had, that, Jesus, the one who could have healed it, man, why couldn't he have done it in this situation? They doubted him. But in verse number 45, the Bible says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. The Gospel of John records seven miracles that Jesus performed, and each of these miracles showed that Jesus was truly God, and, and it equated oneness with God. Yet this miracle 
was followed by a significant outcome. The Jews that had come with Mary knew that Jesus healed the blind man, yet it was evident that they did not truly trust him with their life. And as a result of this miracle, after they saw what Jesus did, they couldn't help but believe in him. Lazarus' healing led to the salvation of others. And while these Jews got saved, there was a more significant outcome. I ask you to turn to one other passage this morning in your Bible, and or maybe just look right over there. Let's look at John chapter 12, verse number 9 through 11. John chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. So we see that the Bible says that the Jews who were there got saved. But then notice verse, chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. The Bible says this, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. Who was he talking about? They knew that Lazarus was there because it says this, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But, verse 10, the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Why? Why do they want to put Lazarus to death? Notice with me in verse number 11. Because that by reason of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away, and believed on Jesus. What's the significant outcome here? Not only did the Jews that were present get saved, Lazarus lived a life that when people saw Lazarus, they saw Jesus. Lazarus certainly had a story worth telling. And if you are saved, you too have been spiritually raised from the dead, and you have a story worth telling. But I'm afraid many of us are afraid to tell others about Jesus because our life would not match the words that we say out of our mouth. The things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we laugh about, they don't correlate, they don't work, they don't mesh with what the Bible says. This morning, you go ahead and close your Bibles and close your notes, and I'm almost finished. I started this message telling you about my papa and how he was... The, uh, the world's best storyteller. It was in the end of 2004, beginning of 2005, my parents got my brother Benjamin, my sister Jennifer, and I out of school towards the end of the day, and we got in the car, and uh, we drove 15, 20 minutes down towards where the interstate in, intersects with Anderson, South Carolina. And while we were there, we went to a store called Russell Stover's. And as we walked into Russell Stover's, we got some ice cream, and it was great. But we were there because my Mimi and my Papa were driving from Georgia back home to their their city in uh, in, uh, West Virginia. And unbeknownst to us, my parents knew, obviously, but me, my brother, and my sister, we didn't know that Papa and Mimi were going to be there. We got to say hi to them. We got to interact with them. But really, that was one of the last times I saw my Papa because we knew that he had cancer and, and soon after that he was probably going to die and, and sure enough several months later in, in May 2005 my papa passed away and uh, if I'm honest with you I can't remember a lot of the stories that my papa told me I remember he's a great storyteller but I don't remember a lot of the stories that he told but as long as I live I will never forget this we drove up to West Virginia that one day for his funeral and I don't remember anything about the funeral but I remember towards the end, of, the end of the funeral, two ladies stood up and they sang this song. It says this, When I enter heaven's glory and I see my Savior's face, I will offer him 10,000 years of praise. Then I'll find that special one in whose life I saw God's Son. 
And through tears of joy with trembling lips, these words I'll say. I saw Jesus in you. I saw Jesus in you. I could hear his voice in the words you said. I saw Jesus in you. In your eyes, I saw his care. I could see his love was there. You were faithful, and I saw Jesus in you. To me, my papa was my papa. But to the people in the factory that he worked his entire career with, he was Jesus with skin on it. And his life was worth telling. And he told a story worth telling. And that story was about how he was a drunk and he was a bar owner. But Jesus came down and rescued his soul, changed his life, and forevermore, he was known as a Christian. And at his funeral, they didn't say, oh, yeah, I remember Dave Armstrong. He was a bar. He was a drunk. He was someone who had a bar. And I remember going again. None of that. His life changed. His story changed. This morning, you have a story worth telling if you are saved. But let me ask you this question. Who does your life point to?